0: Hello and welcome to the Stop the Sales Drop podcast. I'm your host, Eric Gruber, CEO of Personal ABM. And today we're going to talk about evolved sales and marketing. And I'm bringing this out today because when LinkedIn came out last year with their report that 44% of organizations are seeing significant declines in responsiveness. My partner, Christina Giammello, was unable to make today's call, and I mentioned that it was not pandemic-related. COVID may have exacerbated the, si- the situation, but it's because we need a new way to sell in market. We can't just push out. It can't, we need, we need to go beyond just even personalization. We need more personal relevance that speaks to the buyers, content that speaks to specific selling conversations. Now, despite things rebounding and sales teams increasing prospecting volumes by more than 5% in 2021, over half of respondents in a recent challenger poll mentioned that their biggest barrier to getting deals done is simply getting prospects to respond, which shows that Christina and I were right. It wasn't pandemic-related. It's how we are approaching sales and marketing, and it's time that we need to evolve our sales and marketing. My guest today is Tom Pasello, Chief Evangelist at MediaFly. He was a managing VP at uh, at Gartner. His company also started our selling tools through a And now it was emerged into uh MediaFly. He is our guest who was also the host of Evolve Selling podcast. He has a book on Evolve Selling. Tom, thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you so much,
0: Eric. Now, as I was just mentioning in the beginning, we have this issue now of unresponsiveness and it's been Mm -hmm. happening even before C19. Buyers are not responding to sales and marketing efforts. Can you discuss what is happening What is wrong with the social, the email, and live conversations that sales and marketing are having? And what does evolved selling look like?
1: Yeah, every day that I'm on social, I will get uh, unsolicited outreach. And I am inundated by it. Uh, There are unsolicited emails that come across, unsolicited uh, LinkedIn messages from folks that I've decided to connect with that I immediately regret (laughs) connecting with, and um, direct messages through other social environments. And I I know I'm not unique. Everyone is experiencing that same thing. Um, And I'm sure that there are sellers out there that experience the same thing too, yet they continue to execute on these types of practices um, knowing that these messages that they get are ignored or in some instances actually infuriate the receiver. And in some instances, I immediately regret connecting with that person and I can't uh, disconnect quick enough. Uh, Now that's a rare occasion that it happens. uh, But when someone sends me six, seven, eight, uh, uh, you know, you didn't respond, are you still alive and awake uh, kind of messages to me, it gets infuriating, right? So we've all had those experiences. Um, yet it continues. And I- I'm puzzled as to why it continues. When you are designing a sales and marketing outreach campaign, you have to, you know. I- these are time-honored techniques. Seth Godin from Yahoo. Uh, many others have written about them for a long time. Um, you know, think about the receiver. You are going to interrupt whatever they're doing at that moment, and they are going to have to spend time handling your message. Is that time going to be worthwhile? Is the interrupt worthwhile to them? And if you can't say yes to both of those things, why are you doing it? Um, you have to add value. Uh, You have to, when you outreach, uh, have a particular purpose in mind that is greater than just getting uh, a response or getting the meeting. Um, And that purpose will come through. So I think it all starts first with, do you have a purpose? And is it higher than just making your quota? And I know there's a lot of pressure on particularly inside sellers or, you know, SDRs, BDRs, as they're called today, since most of us now are all inside sellers, to um, hit their quota goals from a meeting, setting meeting perspective, or even outreach perspective. Um, That's all good and fine. And we know you have to manage to that in some ways. But you're not going to ultimately achieve the bigger goals and your bigger quota unless you're dedicated to a a bigger, better purpose. And that is the customer and making their lives easier, making their lives better. Um, So if I get an outreach and instead of, uh, hey, here's uh, all about my product and here's all about me, um, let's meet. um, How often does that work when you meet someone even socially or anywhere else where they talk all about themselves, then you can't wait to talk to them again. It never happens. Right. But if someone asks me a compelling question that gets me to think, and then they provide me with a piece of research or a document or something, I think that's helpful and something value added. Um, I may look at it and that will earn some points with me. And as, people, we have this neuroscience concept of uh, reciprocity, where if you give me something of value, I feel like I owe you something in return. And that, oh, could be, yeah, I'll return your phone call. I'll spend five minutes with you and see if you can help me with a problem or providing a potential solution. But you have to think about in the outreach, not it being a let me introduce you to everything about myself and let me sell you on myself right from the beginning to instead be interesting, be compelling, be value add and provide me something of value. And then ultimately maybe I'll take that meeting with you.
0: Yep, definitely like
1: number one, the purpose. We
0: say that sales and marketing, there's not enough intention. We Mm -hmm. create content for awareness not intention to change this prospect's thoughts and ideas not enough thought on this content is going to move this account from stage 2 to stage 3 because we're helping them overcome this issue that is important to them mm-hmm. when i or sales is why are we reaching out to them what are what is going on in those accounts that we're reaching out to. It can't just be because we want to reach our quota. It can't be just because uh, now a lot of SDRs and AEs are simply far up with people that have shown intent, but that can't be my reason. And there's reasons behind why companies showed intent. Mm-hmm. And when you dig into those reasons and understand the company, you cannot speak to them. So that's why I talk about personal relevance versus personalization. But I think it's just too much scale. Everyone focused focus on, I wanna reach more people. And I think this, our scaling mentality is actually
1: limiting revenue, revenue growth because- I, I completely agree with that, Eric. I, I think that that goes back to Seth and the book Tribe, where you actually wanna be much more relevant and important to a much fewer set of people then this industrial scale attitude that we tend to have today, where it's all about search engine optimization, as much outre- outreach as possible, as much activity as possible, as many opportunities as possible. And I think we have to get back to the less is more and, and you know, the less volume and more important is ultimately what we wanna to do to be successful.
0: Yep, We gotta focus on the interaction and the experience. Yes, and you.
1: being important to a group of people um, and valuable to that group of people, not to ultimately this kind of mass industrial scale that we've thought about before. You know, yep. Maybe we're all trying to be Amazon and Netflix when we should instead be much more niche and much more important to a smaller group. Uh, It's not bad having those bigger goals and getting to that industrial scale. And those companies figure a way to be relevant and important at that scale. But I'd much rather be uh, much more intimate and connected and valuable to a, a much smaller group of people and use that base, that solid base as a way to then build and expand the business than trying to do this industrial scale outreach, industrial scale opportunity development that winds up having such a large dropout rate or a large annoyance rate that doesn't get me any further to being valuable and to fulfilling my purpose.
0: Yep. Plus you'll learn a lot more looking at the micro interactions and those experiences with your tier one accounts than you just look at an overall campaign. Mm-hmm. said this many times marketers will focus on, oh, we got 20% conversions. Let's see if we get that to 25 or whatever the conversions they want. I look at it and say, well, if there's 20% conversions, there's 80% that's not responding. How many of that 80% are you, would you say tier one ICPs? Mm -hmm. That would respond if we went away from the campaigns and really focus on more of an interaction within those accounts. And we change those experience. How many of them can we now move forward that we could get greater revenue growth from than those that respond to campaigns that already have a predefined need in their mind, which means Mm -hmm. you're limiting margin
1: growth automatically. Yeah, exactly. And think about the more transformational um, accounts to engage with as opposed to just the transactional where they'll view your solution much more as, a, and you as a commodity as opposed to perhaps the ones that are a little bit harder to reach, but will be find you much more valuable and will see the differences that really matter. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Now we have a lot of people and still doing the traditional selling, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Then we have what you say in your journey, there's an able selling mm-hmm. and then there's evolved selling. Can you talk a little bit about what enabled selling is and where their limitations are and why we need to go to evolved selling and what above selling is?
1: Yeah, so traditional selling, I'll start there just real quickly. Very focused on product and service, very transactional oriented shows up with very um traditional content um big powerpoint decks gosh some 200 300 page long decks and they'll walk through the slides sequentially talking all about them and their products and solutions um then you kind of hit the enabled level um in traditional you're managing content with multiple shares email distribution in enabled What the team has done is they've gotten a hold of the content and said, hey, look, we've got to get our sellers to use the right content. Um, We're going to make sure that they're using the right versions. Um, We've put it into a repository, and now they can find that content and leverage it. We've also made some moves to talk about solutions and much more about the value of the solutions. Um, But we're still using a lot of traditional content to get our messages across when buyers want much more of an experience both in the Zoom meetings that they're participating in, their virtual online meetings, as well as uh, after the meeting. So traditional is very much showing up and throwing up product and service. Enabled is you've gotten the sellers to where they're talking about The outcomes and the value that the product has delivered, and they're using content management systems to present more content to the buyer, Uh, but they haven't quite elevated the experience, the customer engagement experience to a way where the buyer knows they're being listened to, uh, discovery is being done properly, Um, solution value is being done at scale so everyone knows the value of the proposed solutions that are being delivered and that you're validating that value on an ongoing basis with the customer. So evolution takes it one step further and it's a journey, not a destination, which is why we call it Evolve because this needle will move over time. But what Evolve selling is about is elevating the content within the enablement system to now do bigger, better things. Um, And it's evolving the messaging within that content to do bigger and better things. So it is leveraging interactive discovery tools. So you're measuring every company's capability and maturity, benchmarking them, scoring them, uh, including against all of the other customers and uh, prospects that you're working with. And you're looking to drive them up a maturity curve. It is using interactive value tools. So you know the proposed and estimated uh, outcomes that you're wanting to deliver pre-sale. And then you're measuring the value post-sale of leveraging the solution and then expanding the relationship with the customer and what the outcomes could be of that expanded relationship. It's using interactive presentations that will enable the seller to discover challenges that the buyer has and pivot to stories, customer stories and examples and use cases to illustrate um, dynamically in virtual meetings uh, what the solutions could potentially deliver and why they need to consider those solutions to expand the relationship with the customer or for a new prospect to begin doing business with the organization. So it's taking a look beyond the plumbing, the content enablement within the organization that is so often associated with sales enablement, and instead now making sure that your sellers can better communicate and quantify value and go beyond just the sellers to include BDRs, SDRs, professional services, customer success, value engineering, enabling all the commercial team to be able to have the right value and outcome discussions with the customer and do it with content that has been elevated to be interactive and not static and traditional.
0: Yep. I like that. In fact, when we were doing our Reboot Friday panels, we had a Reboot Sales Enablement panel. We brought in Roderick Jefferson. We Mm -hmm. brought in Nick Salas from MindTickle. And Nick mentioned how, Sales enablement is not about enabling sales, It's not about getting more sales. It's about enabling sellers to have the right conversations, the right communications with the right buyers at the right times. It's Mm -hmm. not about selling. It's about getting the communications right, which is what you were just talking about.
1: Yeah, and I also think, Eric, that part of being evolved is thinking about the the conversations like the direct conversations in meetings. But one of the important things to remember there is that there's only about 5% of the decision-making journey that takes place with the seller in the room. And in the room with the seller is a small subset of that buying committee. So what we have to make sure of is that these conversations are done in marketing, where the people on the buying team are going to the website and doing their own research and exploration. They're also um, being done in um, collaborative portals that you can set up as part of evolved Selling where you've got a collection of content and that content can be leveraged by everyone on the buying team so that your conversations are occurring after the meeting And that buyers are able to self-service content either on the web, which is where they kind of naturally go to do research, or you're setting up a facilitated buying portal for them that's unique to their journey and unique to the stakeholders, the outcomes, the use cases, Um, all of the content is customized for that customer so that their journey is facilitated. And it becomes a collaborative conversation that lives on long after that small fraction of time the buyer lets you into their decision-making world.
0: Yep. And I like that. In fact, later on, we are going to talk about how we could influence the conversations that sales are not part of, those internal conversations. Yeah, That's where I say a lot of times if we, and when we do, and when I start clients with our personal ABM services, we look at the win loss analysis. If they have access to it, if they're using different technologies, and I look at those reports, and most of that, if I look at the win loss, the losses are lost at the internal conversations. Mm-hmm. Because, and if I start to look at the content, they don't have information that, that helps the champion get that consensus. And that's where I say we need a lot more help. And so we're definitely gonna go into that in a short time, Um, but definitely wanna go more into messaging first. So he's talked about messaging and respondents to the challenger poll that I mentioned earlier, that we're getting responses from buyers and getting conversions mentioned that the three keys they used to getting market access were improving the messaging developing new content to present it and engaging with a broader group of customers, stakeholders to share it. Now, how do we need to reshape our messaging to inspire mm-hmm. buying cycles with those that are stuck in status quo, those that are disconnected and those that are stuck in their buying
1: journey? Yeah, Eric, you'll see, you've already heard how much um, I align with the research that challenger has done Um, just, they've got a really good pulse on uh, buyer dynamics and the three kind of issues that you mentioned are, are near and dear to my heart. And I think things that we need to focus on solving in sales enablement and sales and marketing in general. So how do you create that message that's going to ignite the buyer journey and ignite it with enough, um, you know, velocity that, uh, you know, an acceleration that it can hit the escape velocity, right? That you need to, because too many of these deals are ending, um, not with a decision that goes to you, uh, unfortunately, not with the decision that goes to the competition, but the majority now Gartner saying over 50% of decisions are close to it are no decisions, Um, Priorities are changing. There's a lot of risk. There's a lot of uh, budget constraint right now that's driving it a little bit higher, but no decision is the biggest competitor that you have. So how do you get over that no decision? Well, I think right away, any messaging that you have really has to resonate around the challenges that the buyer has. So just like the challenger sale outlined for us gosh almost a decade ago i think it's six seven years now close yeah. to a decade um you know you've got to make sure that you're really amplifying the challenge because the buyer's first question that they need to answer is why change um you have to do this very carefully today eric because there's amygdala overload and people are already worried about their jobs their risk their health their th- you know and it's just and even if we're over that part of the crisis, there's still a lot of change that's going on, work from home, not work from home. So we're already overstimulated with that, and we're already in this kind of fight, flight, or freeze mode. And that's why No Decisions is up so high, because when you're faced with indecision, information overload, which we're faced with today too, a lot of risk, uncertainty, and doubt, you can fight it, you can flee from it, or you can freeze. And freeze is no decision where most deals are ending up with. So you've got to align with the challenge, but you've got to do it carefully and make sure that um, you are not just selling fear, uncertainty, and doubt, but that you're really trying to cooperatively find opportunities for improvement, within the organization. So why change and aligning on the challenge? Next is you've got to um, talk about the loss. So challenge and then loss. What is the cost of doing nothing within the organization? Most decision-makers move away from pain long before they ever seek out a gain or an outcome. And if you too quickly pivot to your solution and what it can do and the benefits it can provide, Before you have quantified for the buyer, clearly communicated with the challenge, and then quantified for the buyer the loss, they're not going to understand the priority of moving, and you will... Um, not be resonating with the buying team around why they need to address this problem. Now, there's plenty of other opportunities or problems to address. Let's just table this for a while, and we'll come back to it in a year or two when it's easier, when we're in a different environment. Well, you want them to act now, right? So it's really about amplifying that pain with the loss. And then we go to the three other elements, opportunity, solution, and evidence. And Eric, this spells out close. And it's a (laughs) storyteller's arc that I developed to answer the questions, why change, why now, and why you? And the opportunity and solution and evidence, the O and the S and the E are, what is the opportunity for improvement after you've done the challenge and the loss? What is the opportunity for improvement where you pivot to the vision for the future? Here's how good it could be. Does that sound interesting to you? Well, lo and behold, we've got a solution that can deliver that. And that solution can deliver this much in terms of benefit or opportunity improvement to you. And in fact, Joe Smith over at company XYZ, well, he experienced this exact challenge and the solution we recommended was able to uh, enable him to save the company $200 million over these past two years in, uh, in implementing the solution successfully and rolling it out within his organization. And he got uh, a raise to vice president as a result. So what we're doing is we are building storytelling into our messaging and relying a lot on that kind of challenger approach, but doing it in a, in a shaped curve of storytelling where it's challenge, loss, opportunity, solution, evidence, close. Um, and Eric, we outline that in the Evolve Selling book in great detail, but just in, in short, that's kind of how I'd recommend approaching the messaging is developing these little stories around each one of the challenges that you could solve. And Eric, near and dear to your heart is think about each role that you're going to engage with each person on the buying decision committee and what's important to them and try to speak one-to-one to their challenges. So have these little stories developed for each one of the roles you engage with and multiple challenges that you're looking to solve for them across cost savings, productivity process improvement, risk avoidance and business growth because companies may be in different modes. There are different roles. And then ultimately, that leads to these different little vignettes, these closed vignettes that you develop so you can talk one to one with them about these specific challenges that will resonate.
0: Yep. And I really like that you went beyond the personas to the people. Because mm-hmm. so many sales and marketing communications are focused on persona pain points. But what is painful to me is a 10, maybe only a one or two to you. Yeah. So that's where I and you say it's a challenge. What is the business challenge? What is my vision? We don't want to go. And then I, that's where I go into gaps. So it's not pain points, but where are the gaps and impacts? And yeah. it's not just impact to you, Tom. It's here's impact to you, but here's an impact to finance. Here's impact to Mary and operations. Here's impacts to your customers. So that's where you got the magnification. It's not just focused on here's the impacts of productivity, it is yeah. impacts across the organization to drive that internal conversation of we need to drive change.
1: I completely agree with that. And Eric, when you think about the pain and the value, uh, think uh, across three different dimensions. Um, one is personal. So, what are they personally dealing with that this will help in their day to day? Uh, both their work life as well as their personal life. Um, Then think in terms of business value, and that's where you come to the cost savings, the productivity improvements, the risk avoidance, the business growth, how it's going to impact the business's key performance integrators, profitability, day sales outstanding, productivity of individuals within the organization, spending on particular services or legacy solutions, those kinds of things. And then there's another dimension that's really important, which is organizational value. And organizational value relates a little bit softer to experiences that you're able to create. So how can you help to improve the employee experience? How can you help to improve the partner experience? How can you help to improve the customer experience? And so I think that's, that's another lens to look at this through is that you want to make sure that you're hitting on the roles, Uh, you wanna make sure you're hitting across all of the different challenges. And then you're gonna wanna make sure that your challenges or that you're addressing and the value that you're talking about are across these three dimensions of personal, business, and organizational. Yep.
0: Now you talked about stories and I say that companies really need to start to reshape their stories. If you look at case studies, It's usually, here's a little bit about the company. Here's what we did, so it was a list of tasks and activities. Here's the results. It doesn't tell a story. It doesn't support customer acquisition. It doesn't support customer retention. It doesn't support customer expansion conversations. And the thing is, it misses the why. It doesn't teach to differentiate. Here's the gaps you had and why they had the gaps here's why we had an impact. So it's not a list of activities. It's more of a why, what was done and why was it done? Why did it have an impact? And then where are the future opportunities if I'm going to use it for expansion? Where do you see how we need to reshape our stories? Because that's where I'm, I guess. See- that's
1: a, yeah, that's a great question. And I think you're highlighting a uh, a particular challenge that a lot of organizations have because they want to create these formulas to scale their success stories and to make it where anyone in the organization can do it, but they lose life. They lose the effectiveness of storytelling. And when you look at what makes a good story and we go back to Disney and Spielberg and um, Lucas and just other amazing storytellers, what do we find? Well, first of all, you mentioned it and we mentioned this at the beginning of the conversation, purpose, purpose, the Simon Sinek why, why why we are doing this, why the customer did this? What's the bigger um, mission that we all had in partnering together to work so hard and invest so much and risk so much to do this? That needs to come through loud and clear. Purpose of the story is the most important thing. You know, good versus evil in Star Wars. Um, There are, purpose is the main theme that we need to make sure comes to life front and center in every one of these success stories um, so that they become stories and not just success documents. The other three elements that are really important in a story are the hero, where I see two that goes awry, where the company makes themselves the hero instead of the customer, the hero. We want to make sure that there's a villain identified and that villain could be COVID, could be an economic downturn, could be a competitor, could be something that our hero was fighting against to fight the good fight, right? And then ultimately we get to something like clothes where there's a shape to the story and it matches with Freytag's triangle so that we don't reveal just um, you know the the ending right away that that the story kind of gets us engaged and builds tension and gets to a climax and ultimately leads to a happily ever after. So we've got purpose, hero, villain and shape and all of these Eric need to be represented very well in our success stories.
0: yep. The other thing, and Jared Green mentioned this on one of my mm-hmm. podcasts, that we need to also show in you know, those like those stories what the experience is to work with you. Because a lot of times, mm-hmm. the no the no decision, it's either they couldn't get a buying consensus, it's either they didn't see themselves in the story that sales and marketing were telling, or in many cases, it's they were afraid of the risk. Mm-hmm. They can't, they, it's going to create a disruption between my teams. It's going to create a customer disruption. I'm not. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get my teams to adopt this. So we need to tell that story. What it's like to onboard with you? What were some of the challenges? Mm-hmm. It's not. Not everything is, especially with IT. It's not always. Oh bright and shiny and all good. There's gotta be some bad to the story. Here was the challenges that was was facing coming into the situation.
1: Yeah, be that if it's too rosy, to... I agree with you, Eric. There's a there's a reality and a transparency and an authenticity that needs to come through. And if everything is just coming up roses, um there are very few engagements where something doesn't come, some challenge doesn't come up. It could be an internal challenge that they had, you know, there was turnover or they had a hard time getting, you know, the, the s- users to pay attention in the beginning uh, could be an external issue of, well, the budget got cut or they lost the key resor- research or, you know, just, you know, something came up, a new requirement came up and the team had a scramble to meet it. It is relationships are cemented in those tough times. And I think that if you can get that across in these success stories, how you together help to overcome that and how um, the customer is the hero that ended up with a great result as a result of helping to overcome those risks. I think that's really important. And I think you did hit on the number one issue Um, that at least Gartner indicated in their research for no decision is that customers are afraid of the risks and sellers are not doing a great job of getting customers comfortable with those risks. And again, I do point back to the amygdala overload. Right now, everyone is risk averse and risk hyper aware. And so we have to work that much harder in our success stories, in our conversations, in our demonstrations, uh, in our relationship building with the customer to be hyper aware that they view this decision as riskier than they would have two, three years ago. Yep.
0: In fact, actually, they're averse to risk, but they're also around the confidence in themselves to make a buying decision. Mm-hmm buyer confidence according to topo before was yeah by garner they said that was an all-time low, but it was a buyer confidence with the twists not buyer confidence in vendors it's in their own decision Mm -hmm. i mean in their their i mean it's confidence in their ability to make the right decision and just throwing out content And having all this overload is not helping with
1: that. No, it's not at all. And throwing more content at it actually has the opposite effect. And there are studies, uh, look up information overload. Uh, You know, choice is a good thing. It attracts buyers to a store, but when you don't curate the content or curate the options for them down to a very small subset, they will freeze in place in their decision-making. Throw in stress and amygdala overload on top of that, and it gets that much more exacerbated. So, if you're able to be that trust builder to get them afraid of the uh, away from the being afraid of the risk, if you're able to do the facilitation to make them uh, make your solution seem like it's the easiest to make a decision on and easiest to buy, and that you've got their back through the process, uh, you don't have to be perfect through it, but you do have to make sure that. Uh, they view it as a simple, well-thought-out solution for them. Uh, you will be their choice. Yep.
0: And it comes down to relevance. And even with that content, we're going to talk about content in just a minute. It's more, again, it comes to that intention and purpose. It needs to shape their strategy. So, <laughs> get, again, even content account specific gaps and impacts. I need to reframe their thoughts and ideas, which goes down to the challenger. Yep. I need the stories. Most content does not support Challenger. They, they lack commercial insights,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: means we're not teaching for differentiation. And to me, teaching means I, the prospect themselves, through my stories, through the content we're sharing, they see the differentiation. Sales should never have to answer a question, why are you different? Mm-hmm. If, they're, if they're being asked that question, it means that marketing and sales through their stories and conversations and content is not teaching for it
1: yeah and the and the differences should come through right from that first conversation of how you position everything uh, to with purpose
0: yep. yep now in my article that content marketing world published earlier this year i mentioned that content does not support abm mm-hmm. it does not support starting conversations most of it is top of the funnel, thought leadership. So I'm giving insights and ideas, but again, it's not relevant. It is not for specific selling conversations that sales or account customer success or account management teams need to have with those accounts. So it's not for conversations. It's get your interest and awareness. It is thought leadership, but not stuff that sales can actually use because it's Mm -hmm. for everyone versus it's for this account and to me i think content should begin with sales first where this has conversations where the accounts that are stuck what do they what do we need
1: for them yeah how do we and eric actually what i'd like to do is propose i don't think you're far off with that but I think it should start with the buyer and what the buyer needs to ultimately make the decision, right? which then backs into what sellers need to provide to the buyer to help drive that decision. And you're spot on though in that you know, too often, and you'll see these articles, you know, ask, answering these basic questions like what is artificial intelligence? What is sales enablement? Um, You know, these pieces are designed for search engines and yeah, companies need to know that you exist, but you need to have purpose and you need to be important to them. And that doesn't answer anything other than some basic questions that you're just trying to drive traffic. Um, And then you'll have thought leadership, but the thought leadership doesn't tie back to, to the solution. And one of the big challenges that buyers have, particularly when they engage with sellers is showing me what's possible and how to solve the problem is still a, a big perceived gap, along with a few other gaps. And this is from the Rain group, looking, um, uh, making sure you're leading a thorough discovery, listening to me, and making the return on investment taste clear to me. So clearly, Eric, from this, buyers are seeing a big gap in sellers that's exactly aligned with what you're saying, which is it's not the top of the funnel area that we're having trouble with the sellers on. It's when I start engaging with them and I've got to start getting into really culminating this thing into a decision with me and a big group, 13, 14, 20 people directly and indirectly involved with this decision. Now I'm needing the seller to really engage with me in a special way to help me facilitate this decision, and they're not leading me through a discovery, or at least I'm not perceiving them to do that. So that I know, you know, that I'm getting the that my wants and needs are heard. That, you know, that I know that they've thought about what's possible and they're demonstrating to me what's possible. Um, I don't even feel like they're listening to me in a lot of these meetings because they're just showing up and throwing up, and then making the return on investment case clear to me is another downfall that we're seeing where a lot of sellers just don't meet buyer's expectations. They may be delivering some financials, but the case of value is not clear of actually how it's going to be delivered.
0: Yep. thing, And it's a lot of times because to me, ABM content, sales content needs to be personal, not just personalized. When I talk about personal, first personalized, had an account of a client of ours. They are a third party logistics provider. And, and they were competing against Ryder to protect, the, they had, their customer had P&G, which mm-hmm. is a very large enterprise company. They were trying to protect that account. And when they were having conversations with PNG, our client, I mean, p mentioned that they were looking for total supply chain value. Now they mm-hmm. couldn't identify what they really meant. They didn't really have a real definition. They were throwing around this buzzword. But what we came back with after the conversations, like, okay, we know what they're looking for. We started putting content and materials together to really define what's the supply chain value is? What total supply chain value is? Yeah. We put together stories, most of them that spoke directly to PNG, because what happened is our client ran the warehouse, while the way ran the DC. they were looking to put under one provider. Well, we knew the gaps that was happening. So they were able to show, well, here's the gaps, here's what's happening with most other service providers and why you're not going to be able to get total supply chain value. And they were telling stories that were personal to PNG. They then put together a index showing them, here's how we're going to be accountable for this, for the total supply chain value. Here's what we're going to measure. Here's what's going to go into it. So we Mm -hmm. put that content and information and index, everything that was personal, to PNG based on what they were looking for what's important to them and help them shape that vision that, that they were talking about because it wasn't shaped they needed to shape it for them but everything was personal it wasn't just industry knowledge
1: mhm I think a couple of things there, you you defined it in terms of what they thought the purpose was, uh, and it's a good industry term too. So I think that this could be generalized be well beyond just that one engagement. The other thing that's really important there is you put together an improvement framework. And I think that there's um, a secret sauce in being able to put together, going beyond selling a solution to a customer, selling a capability and maturity improvement to them, uh, and then selling them a journey and then partnering with them on that journey. And so that's what that improvement framework really did a great job of is like, you created a journey story and here's where you are on the journey and here's where we think you can get and here's all the ways, you know, the steps that you need to take there. Um, You defined a purpose, Now you've got a journey and then you communicated relevant stories of how you've taken other people through that same exact journey. And um, yeah, Eric, that's, that's really super. And I think in there are three elements that I think are essential for any modern and evolved sales and marketing team to take on purpose and a theme, put together an improvement framework and a journey, And then communicate and have quantified success stories that are relevant of how you took people through that journey and made them the heroes within their organization.
0: Yep. And then as you mentioned, it can go, it can be used beyond that account. It's like that's why I say you should start with buyers first and sales Mm -hmm. because that's what I'm going to get with if I'm focusing content on specific accounts, you're going to get super, super relevant than if I was talking about every account. I'm gonna have the right stories in place. Now I have a proof of concept. I see how it worked with this account. Now I could apply it to campaigns with tier two and tier three accounts. But that's where I say content needs to start with those tier one accounts and make it personal to them and then apply it and scale it. That's where the scalability comes from. Mm -hmm. We need to do that initial work with making it very personal. And that's where I think we're getting wrong on. Now, before we end, because we're getting towards the end, Mm -hmm. I do have one last thing I want to get to because you brought this up earlier. It's sales and marketing is not always involved in that conversation. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of internal conversations going on. So how should we shift our content? How can we create experiences that would enable sales and market and have greater penetration with tier one accounts and influence those internal conversations that sales is not in the room for. So what should we be doing for that?
1: Yeah. So the first thing in my mind is create a customized buying portal for your customer. Uh, It's a go-to repository that you can share with the customer A workspace where you can put all of the valuable content that you've shared meeting recordings, Um, buying guides, uh, case studies, things like that. And you can organize that so that the buyer now has a link that they can share with everyone else on the buying team. If it's done right and through the right system, like through a sales enablement platform, you can then track who's consuming it, what they're spending their time on, who they're sharing it with, where the people they shared it with spend their exact time down to the slide or page and you can then inform all the subsequent meetings and follow ups, maybe provide additional content based on where they're exploring, and also know who you might want to invite to follow on meetings, or at least make sure you're arming the champion mobilizer within the organization with that content. So, the buying portal and a collaborative buying portal, in my mind, is absolutely essential. And then it's what you load in that buying portal, because Eric, we spoke about information overload. It's not about, throwing a million documents into that buying portal that then the buyer has to wade through. It really needs to be very curated and customized and personalized for them. And there's a new set of content that is kind of create your own journey or interactive tools where whoever runs it uniquely can kind of take their own journey within those tools and within that content and contribute to it. So um, it is making sure that the buying portal is set up, that it contains very curated and personalized and customized content for that particular buying decision. And then that it's loaded with new forms of content that are much more interactive and create your own journey oriented. So that depending on who is looking at that content, um, they're almost getting a, a personalized experience that's unique to them and their challenges and pain points and what they want to explore as opposed to just the general audience.
0: Yep. And then in that content, think about what are those internal conversations? What needs happen? What are they thinking? What are the different stakeholders thinking? What are they debating? So now we could talk about those impacts and have the right stories for specific conversations. So it's content for specific conversations versus it's very important for curating. It's not just anything. It's for the conversations you want to have
1: mm-hmm. and the
0: conversations that need to happen, whether you're in the room or out of the room.
1: Yeah, and I think we have to think about more of the decision-making. 95% of it is going to go on without us being in the room. What are we enabling our buyers with to help them? And if we're not sharing these buying portals and curating them and customizing them and making them really easy and attractive and guiding that experience, what are the buyers doing? They're doing general web searches. They're all over the place. And what happens when they're all over the place? It's kind of like when you start diagnosing yourself if you've got an ailment and you start driving yourself crazy because there's so much online resources and disinformation that's out there that you get overloaded and you say, you know what, this is just too difficult. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm gonna move on or let, let me go to an expert, which is ultimately where hopefully they're going. But then if that expert isn't there and guiding them, they'll go back to the, the web and get equally confused again and it gets them into this nasty free cycle. Yep, cool.
0: Now, before I let you go, I want to make sure that our listeners get more access to you. As I mentioned, you have your own podcast, you have your book. So here's your chance to tell everyone more about it.
1: Yeah. It's really easy, Eric, to find. It's at evolvedselling.com. E-V-O-L-V-E-D, Evolved Selling, as in Darwin, Evolved. Um, It is a resource portal and a community. So, Everyone that I interview um, shares insights and experiences, lessons learned, hard lessons learned in some instances. Uh, We've got great analysts. There are thought leadership pieces. There are interactive tools, resource guides. One of my favorites are metrics that matter that you can go to and uh, every metric I find of important research out there, I'll list it on there. There's book recommendations, analyst recommendations, Interactive tools where you can measure yourself on your own evolved selling journey and also interactive value tools so you can understand the cost of do nothing and value of change by implementing an evolved selling program. So just a great set of resources that it's a labor of love for me uh, that I've created for uh, the community and the team has worked to create for the community of evolvers that are out there to keep us in this growth mindset and inspire us to do bigger, better things in the future.
0: Yep. And my partner, Christina Jaramillo, was recently interviewed and it should be on that site very soon as well, depending on the you listen to this podcast.
1: (laughs) It was a great interview, Eric. Thank you.
0: Perfect. No problem. Thank you very
1: much, Tom. And how can I find you on LinkedIn as well? Because Yeah, look for me as the ROI guy, Tom T-O-M Pasello. Uh, and uh, Evolve Selling is the place to go to, uh, to also interact and correspond with me. There's also a free book download um, registration on the site, so please take advantage of that. We'll send you an e-copy of the book. It's the full book, uh, but it's an e-copy of it, and then the book can also be found on Amazon and Audible. Perfect. Again, thank you very much, Tom. Thank you. Evolvers Keep Evolving. Yep.
0: So check out evolveselling.com. Go to stopthesalesdrop.com for all of our podcasts, including Tom's, and all of our other past guest experts. You also see videos as well on stopthesalesdrop.com.
1: Thank you very much.